Hey everybody, this is Pastor David with We Are Church. I just want to thank you for taking the time to tune into this podcast. Here at We Are Church, our mission is to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways we do that is through the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. So I just pray that this message would challenge you to take your faith to the next level and you would find freedom in every area that you need. God bless you and enjoy the message. Praise God. Praise God, man. First off, I want to welcome every person in the room today. I see some new faces. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor David. I'm the senior pastor here at We Are Church. And so we we use this building, Launch Point Church. Um, it's my pastor's building. And so when COVID hit and we got we got took out of the school that we were meeting in in South Nashville, my pastor opened up the doors and said, hey, you can continue to gather here. So we've been making the drive to come out here to Lebanon. I've been coming from Spring Hill. We got people coming from Gallatin and Murfreesboro and all different directions just to come together and worship. And in the process, man, we got to meet a lot of great people, man. We got Jason and Leslie back there and, and they've been bringing the people from their program in here, man. And we're just super, super, super grateful for every person in here. And if you're on the screen today and you are tuned in, I want to welcome you as well. And thank you for tuning in to the service. Um, this week, I'm, I'm excited, man. As you know, we wrapped up our established series last week. And this week, we're going to jump into a brand new uh, uh, series titled Momentum. And so I want to ask you today, how many of you say, would say in this room that we are struggling right now, that you're struggling right now to, gr- to gain traction in your relationship with God, Right. How many of you would say that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling to take my ministry to the next level, right? And so, man, I feel like that's, that's where a lot of us are in there. So I really was praying for direction. God, what, what, where do we want to go over the next couple of months? And so I kind of sat down and went through a couple of different series that God, that I felt God wanted us to go into, man. And so I, I really wanted to, to take the next four weeks and jump into this sermon series. And, and I want us to talk about how do we move out of a stagnant life and into a healthy, growing, and vibrant life with God. I mean, y'all excited to jump into that? Amen. <laughs> 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 hey, come on, come on. So this is what I, what I believe. Over the next four weeks, we're going to jump into four different sermons. And I believe that we do this in four different ways. First, we exchange the old for the new. We exchange the old for the new. How many of you know we cannot walk into something new unless we are willing to give up something old, right? So we got to be willing to say, God, I'm, 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 willing to, I'm willing to throw that life off to walk into the life that you have for me. And secondly, we break, embrace opposition. We got to embrace opposition. Now, opposition is inevitable that the trials are going to come, right? So we're going to jump into that. And, and third, we, we got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. That a, the, a Christian life, there's nothing comfortable about a Christian life, Right? Stepping outside of our comfort zones and doing something different than the world is never, it's never easy and it's never comfortable. And then fourth, we have to establish new levels of sacrifice, new levels of sacrifice. But this t- today, I want to focus solely on the first one, to exchange the old for the new. Looking up the definition of momentum, there were seven, several different definitions, but I like one definition that Coach Lowe, Coach Lowe defined momentum this way. He said, momentum occurs when a positive result instigates more positive results, generating a force that moves forward with a collective confidence. I'm going to say that again. Momentum occurs when a positive result instigates more positive results, generating a force that moves forward with a collective confidence. And so kind of simply put that for every action, there's a reaction, right? And so when, when we do something positive, we get positive results that generate more positive results that eventually become a force that moves forward with a collective confidence. And, 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 and I, love that. I love that definition, but as I was thinking about this, this, this definition, it, it presents a problem because there's an assumption somehow that there's only, there's only positive momentum, Right? But there's positive momentum and there's negative momentum. So what God was really showing me is that, man, we've, we've been gaining momentum our whole entire lives. That when we lived in the world, we were just gaining negative momentum, right? That we were just building up this destructive life, right? That one sin led to another, that led to another, that led to another until eventually we, we com- were completely destroyed. So Quora de- defines negative momentum this way. It says momentum is a vector quantity, meaning it has both size and direction, so all that negative momentum means is that an object is moving in the opposite direction of what is declared to be the positive. As I think about this negative momentum and positive momentum, we see this all the time in the stock markets, right? 
If you've ever been involved in, 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 in the stock market, you'll see that, that when the whales come in, the people with the big money, they'll come in, they'll buy into a stock, and it'll, it'll cause it to go up, and it'll start to gain some momentum. But as people see it start to rise, the fear of missing out, everybody starts to buy in, and the stock market will just, it'll just rise, and it'll rise, and it'll rise, right? That's what we call positive momentum. But at the same time, if, 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 if the whales, the people with the money, they pull out of a stock, right? They'll pull millions of dollars out of a stock. You'll see the stock start to, to, to drop. And then people out of fear of losing money, they'll start to sell out. And then you'll just see the stock market just, just completely hit the bottom. It's what we call negative momentum. And so what, what I really want to talk about today is, is, is realizing that the choices that we make today are either going to affect us in a negative way or a positive way, right? And we don't just want to talk about not only sinning and staying away from destructive things. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying what you do today matters. Every choice that you make, every way that you move, every relationship that you're in, all of these different things, they matter. And whether we like it or not, they're going to either have a positive or a negative effect on us. One of my points, positive momentum starts with you but it continues with others. Just, just like the stock market, like I said, that, that, that if somebody with money, with a lot of money, would, would buy into a stock, it'll cause that stock to rise, but it'll stay there unless other people come in and they buy into and it'll cause the stock to rise again and again and again. And so we can start in this relationship with God and, and we can have all of this, you know, th 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 this momentum we get at first that we're just on fire for him. We just want to read our word all the time. We want to pray all the time. We're experiencing all these new things, right? And we'll start to see some freedom in our life and things will start to break off, uh, break off of us. And, and we'll, start to, we'll start to rise in our walk with God, right? But if we don't allow others to come in with us and help us get to the next level, then eventually we're going to plateau and we're just going to go like that, right? But on the flip side, though, we don't need anybody to help us to gain negative momentum. But what I'm saying is I don't need anybody else's help to destroy my life, right? Now, I need other people to help me get to the next level in my life. But if I want to destroy my life, I don't need anybody else's help. If I want to destroy my marriage, I know how to destroy my marriage. And so we don't need anybody to come alongside us and help us to destroy our life. But in order for us to go to the next level with God, we got to have people come beside us. It's elementary stuff. For every action, there's a reaction. Cause and effect, cause and effect. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We see Jesus saying, hey man, the thief, he, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life. What is, what is the enemy coming to steal? He's coming to steal life, right? What is life? What is, what, what is this thing, life, that they're talking about? Not just talking about he's coming to steal life as a whole. He's coming to steal anything that is healthy, that is vibrant, anything that is growing, anything that is reproducing, anything that is being fruitful and multiplying. The enemy is coming to steal that. So when the enemy sees you get with somebody who get with a woman or a man that actually loves God and might actually uh, uh, push you further into your calling with him and will love him more than they'll ever love you. When the enemy sees a good, healthy relationship come, uh, uh, come together, he is coming to destroy that with everything that he has. When the enemy sees that there's a strong man in the home, a strong man in the home to discipline his children, to love his wife and to, and, to, and to do the things necessary to raise godly children. What is the enemy doing? He is coming to steal, kill, and destroy the nuclear family. And now more than ever, the darkness, the side of the darkness is just, it's right in front of our eyes. They're not hiding it anymore. It's okay now to do the things that once were not tolerated in this nation. It's okay to watch the things that we watch on TV. And it is so, it, it, it is, it's so apparent and so blatantly in our faces that we can't, how can we even look past it? But when we realize that we have an enemy, that his name is Satan, and that he came to steal, kill, and destroy everything that would ever prosper you in life, when we actually realize that we'll, we'll be on guard to watch out, to see, to recognize the schemes of the enemy. So I love my marriage, right? I love my marriage. So I put, I put safeguards up in place. I don't meet women without my, my wife there. I don't, I, don't, I don't minister to women on the phone without my wife there. I don't do, I put safeguards up to protect, to protect myself from the enemy coming in and devouring my marriage because I know he's after it. 
because I got a good woman. I got a godly woman. I got a woman who hits her knees every night and prays for this church. And she prays for her husband and she's behind me and she's and she's 100% sold out for God. I got to guard that. I got to guard that. And so I think the, uh, the one of the biggest things that that that, that biggest disservices that the church has given over the past however many decades is they've they've come in and they've given you this rainbow Christianity where it's all butterflies and rainbows and they're not telling you hey there's a war out there there's a war out there and the enemy is after you it's not just after you the storms of life that are hitting you ain't even about you they're about the people that you're supposed to reach they're about your children and your children's children, and their children, and their children, and so on and so on, that the enemy's not just coming for you. He's coming for everything else and everybody else that you're supposed to reach. Jesus says, I came so that you may have life. You, may, you, you might not need my help to destroy your life, but you need my help to save it. That's good news. That's good news that even though we didn't, when, when we didn't choose him and we walked away from him and we embraced death and we worked for the enemy, that he died anyway. So, man, I came so that you could have it. Like, I'll, I'll give it to you so that you could have life. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20 says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fish for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed them. And I love this picture of Jesus noticing Peter and Andrew. This picture of Jesus, not just that we're not just viewed, that he, he isn't just some, he's just, God isn't just some distant person that is up there just looking at the world as a whole, but that individually he sees you. And that he notices you. That's one of the greatest feelings in the world, that when we actually realize that, that this God that everybody speaks about, this Jesus that everybody speaks about, that he's real and that he can come down here in a tangible way and let you know I see you and I'm with you. And then he's calling out to them. He says, Jesus called out to them, come and follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. That he's calling us. That's that pulling. That's that thing that we get inside of us that says, man, something's different. Like, I feel like I want to give my life to something that, that I don't know, but it feels like I knew it before, and I don't even know how I knew it. It's that, it's that familiar feeling of, of, of somehow our creator, something, something so sweet that God is, he's pulling us, that he's calling us out of darkness and into light, that he's calling us into freedom. He's calling us into these things that we have never experienced before. It's that thing that makes you get up out of your chair at the end of service when they give an altar call. That's that thing that, 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 that compels you to come forward and receive healing for all of the broken areas in your life. You don't understand why that's taking place because it's God calling you. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And he's calling us today. And we see three things in this, in this verse. We see the invitation to come to Jesus, the invitation to follow Jesus, and the inv invitation to make a difference. So I want to break that down today into those three points, the invitation to come to Jesus, the invitation to follow Jesus, and the invitation to make a difference. First one, the invitation to come to Jesus. Verse 19, again, it says, Jesus called out to them, come. He called out to them, come. We see Jesus extending invitation all the time. We, we see Jesus always constantly saying, hey, come, follow me. Hey, come and follow me. And if we go over to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29, we're going to see three things that are offered to us if we just come to Jesus. If we just come to him, three things offered to us. Matthew 11, 28 and 29 says, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls. First, we see Jesus. He offers us rest. And when we come to Jesus, we find rest. Verse 28, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Look at who he extends the invitation to. He said, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, you, all of you, every one of you, the ones that are beat down, the ones that are exhausted, that are tired, that, 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 that have been fighting this thing called life, and you've just been losing, that I'm calling you, that if you would just come to me, that I will give you rest for your souls. 
And he says, I will give you rest. He didn't say, come over here and try to earn favor from me, try to earn rest. This is the grace of God that even though we don't deserve it, that all we have to do is come to him and he will give us rest. That's why I've been preaching so much about how we cannot earn the love of God, that you can't earn it no matter how hard you fight for it, no matter how great you think you are, no matter how many works you try to achieve or how many times you try to stop sinning it, no matter what, you cannot earn the love of God and you cannot earn his rest either. We got to break away from that. It's abiding in him. It's resting in him. It's remaining in him. It's choosing not to remove ourselves from him, resting in his arms. That's where we find it. Not legalism, not tradition. The freedom is found in basking in his love. It's where the freedom is found. Trying to earn that freedom in our own strength, we will fail every time. Secondly, we see we find direction. He says, take my yoke upon you. If anybody knows what a yoke is, it's a thing that they join two, ox, two oxen together or, or two bulls together and they would pull the plow. It's a thing that would go around their necks. And when he's saying, take my yoke upon you, notice he's not saying, and I'll place my yoke upon you. He's saying, you have to willingly take that yoke upon you. That's submission to the Holy Spirit. That's submission to guiding, submission to his will in our lives. And he's saying, if you would just take that upon you, that I will lead you where you need to go. That he'll lead us where we need to go. And it's, it's a willingness to let him lead. It's not just a willingness to let him lead us, it's but, it's but part, he will partner with us as we take his yoke upon us, that as we're, we, we're in the work that he is calling us to do, that he'll go through it with us. He'll go through the struggles with us. He'll go through the victories with us. He will go through it with us. One of my points, and when we don't know which way to go next, we find our way in him. When we don't know where to go next, we find our way in him because he is the way. How many of us have complicated that? God, I just don't know where to go next. Just don't know where to turn next. I'm not sure if I should be working here or I'm not sure if I should be working there. Just overcomplicating. I don't, I don't want to miss the mark. God, I don't, I, I don't want to miss it. God, you need to tell me where to go. We, we find our way in him. We follow Jesus. Just follow him. Just seek his face. If you walk through some wrong doors, it'll eventually lead to the right door that God will tell you when you're out of step of the will of God in your life. He'll tell you when you're not going in the direction that he needs you to go. We just need to let go of that. We don't know where to go next. We find our way in him. Find our way in him. And third, we see that we find instruction. Verse 29, he says, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Again, he's saying, let me teach you. You see that? There's nothing forced about God. He's saying, let, let, let me teach you. I know this isn't normal for you. I know that you've never lived this life before. I know that you've never walked away from darkness. I know that you've never stepped outside of your comfort zone. I know you've never led nobody to Jesus or done anything great in your life. I know you don't know how to be a father. I know you don't know how to do this. He's saying, but let me teach you. I will show you because I am gentle at heart. It's this, this, this picture of Jesus saying, I'm not stepping into your life unless you'll let me. I want you. I need you. I'm calling you. I want to do something great with you, but I'm not, I can't force you to love me. But if you want to choose me and you'll allow me, I'll teach you. Because he knows we can't do something that we've never done before. I didn't know how to be a, a good father to my children. Didn't have the example of a good father in my life. And I became a single father of two little girls, fresh in recovery. I didn't know how to be a father, but he taught me. I didn't know how to work with my hands and make an honest living, but he taught me. I didn't know how to lead anybody or be a leader or be somebody positive that anybody wanted to look up to, but he taught me. I didn't know how to pastor a church, but he's teaching me. I didn't know how to be a good husband, but he taught me. But we got to be willing to let him teach us. Another thing we find when we come to Jesus that's not in this verse is we, we find protection. We find protection when we come to Jesus. 2 Samuel verse 22, chapter 22, verse 3 says, The Lord is my rock. This is 
King David said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me in my place of safety. He is my refuge, my savior, the one who saves me from violence. That's the thing. You better know where to run to when things get hard in your life. David said, man, the Lord is my rock. He's my, he's my fortress. He's my savior. He's my, he's my God in whom I find protection. He's my shield, the power that saves me. He's my place of safety. He's my refuge, my savior, the one who saves me from violence. David understood that even though his enemies surrounded him, that he had a strong tower to run to, that when he came to God, to God he would find the safety that he needed. That was where his protection came from. When we understand that, we'll stop running to drugs. We'll stop running to alcohol. We'll stop running to women. We'll stop running to men. We'll stop running away from God when things get hard and we will run dead into his arms. When you understand that, you actually truly understand that then you become dangerous to the enemy. You become dangerous to the enemy because the storms of life, when they hit you, you don't just self-destruct, but you go harder for God, understanding that I got to make it through this that I got I to gotta get through this struggle because somebody needs Jesus. Somebody needs to see me make it through it. Somebody needs to see y'all going in, in this room, whatever you're going through, somebody else needs to see you make it through it. Run to the source, the only source that can sustain you. Secondly, on second point, we, the, the invitation to follow Jesus. Jesus called out to them. He said, come, follow me. Sadly, this is the place where many people stop. Most people stop. They stop at salvation. They stop at salvation and, and, and just, okay, yeah, I, I, I'll give my life to you. But when it comes to following him, they stop. And I've done that a million times. A million times. I can't tell you how many times I gave my life to Jesus. I definitely can't count on two hands, four hands. I literally was baptized seven times. The seventh time stuck for real. <laughs> like, no joke. Like, that's how many times I was baptized. Because I was willing to, 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 to give my life to him in a jail cell. But when it came time to walk for him, to do different and to, and to follow him and walk away from the old and exchange the old for the new, I couldn't do it. So I started thinking, I just really asked myself, you know, what is it? What, what were some of the reasons that I could not follow Jesus the first couple of times? What, what was so difficult about me walking away from the old life and walking into the new life? And, and one of the things that, that really stuck out to me that I was thinking about was unfamiliar territory. That it's unfamiliar. Right? That we're scared to walk into places that we have never been. To walk into something that we have never known. Being in the struggle, that, 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 that's easy for me. I'm familiar with that. Being around darkness, I'm, 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 I'm familiar with that. That's, that's easy to see the dysfunction. That's easy. I grew up in that. Now, walking around people that had their lives together and were on fire for God, I couldn't even walk into a church without getting anxiety. Being around church people, that, that, that really, I, I couldn't do it. It's unfamiliar to me. I got with my wife, and when I got with my wife, I was trying to find, find reasons to why we shouldn't be together because I didn't, a good woman was unfamiliar to me. It was different. Everything about my life was this unfamiliar territory. Joseph Campbell said this. He said, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Second reason that I believe most of us stop at that it's because of what and who it will cost us. We don't follow Jesus because of what and who it will cost us. And we already know. Mm -mm. If I follow him, he's asking me for that person. I ain't supposed to be with him. I ain't supposed to be with her. He might want to take that from me, right? That we're holding on to these, these things and we don't, we don't want to let it go. So instead of following Jesus and getting closer to him, we follow him from a distance. And I wrote this. 
in my sermon, many of us have started to follow Jesus from a distance in fear that he might ask us to give him something we've began to cherish more than him. Some of us started off in this walk just as close to Jesus as we could get. But we've backed away from him because he might ask us for that thing that we have placed before him now. We're starting to cherish certain things more than we cherish him. And we don't, we don't even want to take a chance on him asking us to give it, give it to him. The third thing is, is fear of failing. Man, f- failure was the only thing I was ever successful at. I was real successful at failing. But what I didn't want to do is even though, even though I may not have fully known God, I had somewhat of a fear of God. So I didn't want to act like I was doing something that I wasn't. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I didn't want to jump into it and, 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 and fail and fall on my face. I didn't want to do that in front of people. So instead of jumping into it, I, I, I just let it go. Left my Bible in jail every time. I give my life to Jesus in a jail, in a jail cell. And then I leave my Bible there. The one time I left the jail with the Bible in my hand, I never went back. And this is the thing, man. It's, 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 it's God knows that he already knew. He, he, he knew he would fail. He knew he would fail. He knew how many times we would fail. And it didn't stop him from going to the cross for you. And he predicted Peter's failures and his denials. And he told Peter, he said, he said, you'll deny me three times before the rooster even crows. Right before that, Peter said, man, I'll die for you. I'll go to jail for you. I'll follow you wherever you go. He said, man, I'll tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny that you even know me. Right? He said, man, they're going to strike me and all of you are going to scatter. You're all going to scatter in fear and walk away from me. He tells Peter, but Peter, when you have repented, strengthen your brothers. So when you repent, when you know what it's like to walk with me and then you walk away from me and you come back to me and you repent and you turn your life to me, I want you to strengthen your brothers. I want you to do something with purpose. I want you to walk and I want you to lead and I want you to feed my sheep. And Peter, after he gave his life back to Jesus, Never denied him again or walked away from him again, even put his life on the line and died for him. Confucius said this, said our greatest glory is not in never failing, but in rising every time we fall. Our greatest glory is not in never failing, but in rising every time we fall. We got to get rid of the fear of failing. We got to know it's inevitable. We're going to fail. Sometimes I fail as a husband, right? Sometimes I fail as a father. Sometimes I fail as a pastor and as a leader. I fail all the time. But it's in my failure. It's in, it's in those times that when I fail and I fall and I learn from my mistakes and I say I can't do that anymore, that I learned that I can get back up and I can do better and my failures don't define who I am. They don't make me. I'll never forget the time me and my, my wife, we had a really, really bad fight. And I said all kinds of stuff that I never meant. And I mean, I blew up. We actually haven't had a fight since then, like not a real fight, little arguments, but nothing serious. We had a really, really bad fight. And I remember thinking, like I had just preached what I believed was the greatest sermon of my life and feeling so on fire for God and then went to calling my wife things that no man should ever call his wife. And the enemy was like, look at you. Call yourself a, a pastor. You call yourself a preacher kind of man of God are you? You know what I mean? Just condemnation, just drilling me and drilling me and drilling me. I went to my wife and I said, man, I'm, I can't believe I said those things to you. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. And she looked at me and she's like, that's okay. That's not who you are. I know that wasn't who you are. She had the ability to look past that and say, that's, that doesn't define you. That one bad thing, that one bad moment that I had, that doesn't define the fact that you get up every day and you work and you provide for our family. And that you love me unconditionally and how many times you've made room for my... F- she just started going through this whole list of everything right that I have done as a father. And she said, that, that doesn't define you. Some of us need to be reminded in this room that some of the things we felt, that, that doesn't define us. It's time to give it back to Jesus. God, I just give it to you. I don't, I don't want it in you. It's not who I am. 
We've let some of these addictions and things that we have done in our lives that would just define us. Time to let them go today. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after, after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. To deny ourselves is simply saying his kingdom matters more. His kingdom matters more than how I feel. His kingdom matters more than my need to be heard by other people. It's whatever he wants. With that thing that we wrestle with that he's saying, man, I need that. I need you to let that go. We need to understand that his kingdom and his purpose matters more. It matters more than us holding on to our bitterness and our resentments, that his kingdom matters more than that, 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 that we, don't, we don't have a right to hold on to those things anymore. God is saying, no, my kingdom matters more. And that's a different meaning than, 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 than having it all together. It's not what he's saying when he says to deny yourself, take up your cross and and follow me. He's not saying, hey, come to me and have it all together. He's saying, man, there's things that I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to come to forks in your road, in the road. You're going to have a choice to choose my will or your will, my way or your way, what I want versus what you want. And at the end of it, we always got to remember his kingdom, his kingdom, his kingdom. He says, let him take up his cross and follow me. And we need to understand that when, when we read this, let him take up his cross and follow me, that this isn't something pretty. Like the cross represents something is beautiful to us because the meaning of the cross was fulfilled. But as he's telling his apostles and his disciples, take up your cross and follow me, that cross represented suffering. It represented pain. It represented enduring something. It represented choosing that over their own comfort. Which is why he says, Forever who, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And the disciples were so convinced of that. They were willing to die for the gospel so that they could see you in these seats today. Like who signs up for that? Like who really signs up for that? Willing to die to see somebody else make it to heaven. Something's got to be real about him because even history records all of the deaths of the apostles. I got some of them right here. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified right side up the same way as the Savior. John was the only one believed to have died of natural causes. James, John's brother, was killed by King Herod, had his head chopped off, had his head chopped off for the gospel. Bartholomew was flayed to death with knives. Philip was crucified in Egypt as a missionary. Thomas, Thomas was stabbed with a spear during his ministry in India. Matthew, the tax collector, was arrested in Ethiopia and impaled by spears to the ground and then beheaded. James was preaching on a wall and was thrown off by religious leaders when he survived. When he survived the fall, they stoned him and beat him to death. Jude was crucified and shot with arrows. Andrew, Peter's brother, look at this. Refusing to denounce the faith was scourged. He was boiled. His skin was burned and then tied to a cross. Said so that, that, that he was hung there for two days, that he hung on the cross for two days, preaching the gospel to everybody who passed by. How can somebody sign up to endure that type of pain? Because his kingdom is more important. that we got to understand that there's a mission that God has given us. He's given us a mission and we got to be willing to stop letting the storms of life just take us out. We got to run to him when things get hard. In John chapter 6, Jesus is explaining to a crowd of followers what they got to do to continue following him. He's saying, man, you got to, you know, unless you eat of, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. They didn't understand what he was saying and, and what Jesus was saying was too difficult for them to understand. And we go down and we see in verse six, what I believe is the saddest verse 
in the Bible. It says at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. We see all of these people walking with Jesus, witnessing the signs and wonders, the miracles, the healings. Jesus walking on water. We see all of this stuff happening. And just because what Jesus was saying to them was too difficult for them to understand, they, they deserted him. And I've been that disciple. I've been that person. That when this word, doing what this word said, looked like it was too hard for me to do, I walked away. Many of us in, the, in, in this room, we're, that, we're in that place. We walked away from God. And yet he still died for us. Says that he, le he leaves the 99 to go after the one. One of my points, he died for you knowing you might never choose to love him. That he died for you knowing that you might never choose to love him. That's a good God. That's a good God. Verse 67 and 68 says, Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. We see Peter, John, we see them and saying, where, 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 where would we go? How can we walk away from you? How can we go back to our old life after, after tasting your goodness, after, after experiencing what we've experienced from you? We, we can't go back to that. That when our eyes are truly opened to who he is, that he's the savior of the world, that he's the only hope that we could ever have. He's the only freedom that we could ever find. And we taste his goodness and we walk in, and Peter's even walked on water and we see these different things that God will, will, will give us and we experience and we cannot go back to the world. And it tastes the same. And Peter's understanding it. Where will we go? You want me to go back to that? How can I go back to that? So, I mean, you got the words that, that, that lead to life. The words that give eternal life. So we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. We have choices today. Where are we going to go? We need to ask ourselves that. Like, do, do we really want to go back to, 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 to what this world looks like? Do we want to go back to that? Maybe you're in the room today and you've never even experienced God in a tangible way. It's just been something people have said to you, but you've never had a real revelation of him. I want to ask you to be bold enough to just say, God, if you're real, like, like show me, reveal yourself to me, meet me here in a tangible way. God, speak to me in a way that only you can speak to me. God, if you, if, if, if you can change me, then change me. If that's your plan, if you, if you really want that, if you want to give me rest, if you really want to give me salvation, if you really want to give me freedom and I don't have to earn it, God, and you'll give it to me, then I'll live for you. If you're bold enough to say that, I guarantee you, he will show himself to you. He'll show himself to you. said, I died for you, knowing that you might never choose to love me. Wow. Matthew chapter 4. Nicole, can I get you to? Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. We see the, my third point, the invitation to make a difference. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me. And he says, I will show you how to fish for people. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about everything that Jesus says, I'll show you how to fish for people. I'm not just going to take you out of your mess and just leave you there. I'm not going to just come and get you to sit in some seats inside of some church and claim to be the church. I said, no, that's, that's, that, that's not what I'm going to do. 
He said, if, you, if, if you're willing to come to me and let me give you rest and let me change you, let me transform you, and you're willing to follow me, you're willing to go wherever I lead you, that you're willing to endure suffering, if you're willing to, to walk in my ways, if you're willing to follow me, I'll show you how to fish for people. He said, I can take your mess and turn it into a message. That I can take the test and turn it into a testimony. I can take your pain and turn it into purpose. He's saying, if you want to follow me and you're willing to go where I'll lead you, I'll show you how to fish for people. So I'll take the addiction away and show you how to reach addicts in a way they've never been reached before. I'll, I'll teach you how to give the gospel to an atheist that doesn't even believe in God. And I'll be so tangible and so real in your life that even the atheist will be able to look at you and tell that only God can do that in your life. I mean, you've been fishing your whole life. You've been working. You've been working your whole life. We've all been doing something. And God said, man, I'm going to take those same gifts and them same talents, and I'm going to use them for the kingdom of God, and I'm going to show you how to fish for people. And we see verse 20 says, they left their nets at once, and they followed him. Like who wouldn't walk away from that? They left their nets. What is that net for you? For some of us, it's alcohol. For some of us, it's, it's drugs. For some of us, it's, it's, it's money. For some of us, it's different things. I mean, they left their nets at once and they followed him. Who could walk away from that opportunity? God saying, man, I'm going to take somebody like, like me that when he met me in a, in a jail cell, that I was just a gangbanging heroin addict a failure of a father who had left his kids out there to just be destroyed by the world. And I failed at everything, but God met me in a jail cell and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm going to take this message and I'm going to mess and I'm going to turn it into a message. I didn't know I'd be standing in a pulpit to preach the gospel. But that's what happens when you follow Jesus. wants to use you today. And so I want to ask you today, you willing to exchange the old for the new? If you want some traction, you want to gain some momentum in your life, you want to grow, you want to multiply, you want to do these things for God, got to be willing to exchange the old for the new. And so I want, to, want us to stand up real quick. I want to give us each in this room an opportunity today to come forward. If you're here today and you say, man, David, I'm tired of living this life. I'm tired of picking this up, putting it back down, picking this up and put it back down. I want us to symbolically just walk up here to the altars. And I want to give each and every one of us an opportunity to leave the old here today and walk out in the new. Doesn't matter what it is. You just come to the altars. Yeah, y'all can come right now. You can come right now. Thank you, Jesus. Let's lift our hands to heaven. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for everything that you have done for us. God, we thank you for calling us out of darkness and into light. We thank you for the freedom that's available to us, God, that you, you extend it to us. You freely give it to us, God, that we don't, we don't have to earn it. We don't got to strain for it, but that you, you give it to us. So we command all shame, all guilt, all condemnation to break off of every person in this room right now. We speak to every bondage right now. We command every chain to break right now in Jesus' name. Every addiction to fall off right now in Jesus' name. Command the spirit of lust and pornography to break off of the minds of every person in this room right now in Jesus' name. God, I speak freedom over every person right now. We thank you for the opportunity to not only just come to know you, God, but to make you be known, God, to every single person. You want to use us. You want to you change us. You want to transform us, but you want to use us to make a difference. 
That's our mission statement, that we exist to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. God, help us to, to, to really grasp that, to understand that even us, that you want to use us. Some of us in this room, we don't feel worthy enough to be used by you, God, but you said, I want to use you. Only you know what that looks like, Father, so I ask that you would start to reveal that to them. That you would remind them of just how beautiful they are that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. No matter what this world has told them, we speak to every lie, Satan, I command you, silence your voice right now. God, some of us are fathers and mothers in this room walking around with guilt and condemnation because we've, we've failed them. But the reality is we, don't know, we didn't know what good fathers and mothers looked like. And God, we believe that you can restore all things. So we just pray, God, that you would restore the relationships in this room, God, with the fathers and the mothers and the children. Some of us have been told that we'll never even get to see our kids again, but we just break that lie right now in Jesus' name, that if we become the fathers and the mothers that you created us to be, God, that you will give them back to us. God, that you'll restore the years that the locusts ate. You'll restore the years that the locusts ate. You'll restore the years of the, that the locusts ate. So I speak to every person right now that's saying, well, I've been gone 15 years. It doesn't matter. God will restore it. God can do more in, in, in one year, in one minute that you can do in your whole entire lifetime. And so, God, I thank you for the favor that you will pour on their life, God. And I thank you right now for the healing that's taking place in their hearts right now and in their children's minds. So, God, today we, live our, we, we, we leave our sin. We leave our pride. We leave our ego. We leave our fear. We leave it all right here at your feet. We choose to walk into the new, God. We believe wholeheartedly that this will be the greatest journey that we will ever take in our lives. We thank you. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Praise God. We had a whole church up here. <laughs> amen. Praise God. Uh, before we leave real quick, y'all know we do things a little bit different. We always take up our offering at the end of service just for the flow of things. So if you're on the screen today and, or you're in the room, we have three different ways to give. We have text to give, number 615-257-9633, 615-257-9633. And you just text the keyword give and it'll send you a link and you just set it up like that. Um, and we also have uh, our online at weareministries.com. You can click the giving tab and it'll take you to a giving portal and you can set it up like that. And then we have cash app. Our cash tag is... Money symbol, we are church with a capital W. But real quick, we have, uh, if you have your Bibles, Proverbs 22, verse 9. Proverbs 22, verse 9. <clears throat> Proverbs 22, verse 9 says, For... Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. And I love that because my whole life, I always looked at the glass half empty. And he said, man, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. He'll share his bread with the poor. Whoever sees what he has and not what he doesn't have, that he will share everything he has with the poor. I think some of us need to make a decision today to stop looking at things, looking at the glass half empty and look at it half full. And I will say this, a lot of us have been through some real struggles and we know what it's like to struggle together versus struggle by ourselves. And so, man, I just, just want to thank y'all, man. Thank you for your faithfulness. Oh, one of the things we did this week, so I had a friend who called me and reached out to me just really trying to make a change in his life. And David, I, you know, I've never done this before. I don't know how to do it, but I've been watching you. I've been seeing what you're doing. I really want to walk in this thing, you know, in this, in this life with God. And so, man, kind of talked talk with him over the phone and talked about some of the things. He's like 45 days sober in this walk with God. And he didn't ask me for any money, but I just felt led to ask him, is there anything that you need? You know, what, what, what do you need right now? He said, man, well, I'm really struggling to pay my bills. And so we talked about, I said, well, what's, 
the biggest bill that you have right now, the most pressing bill that you have right now. He said, no, nah, man, that's that's not why I called you. I didn't call you for that, man. Like, I don't want you to think I was calling you for that. He's never called me for money. Actually, the first time he's ever called me, you know, since I've been saved. And uh, I said, man, doesn't matter. Like, what, what good is it for us to know that a brother and sister of ours who is giving their life to the Lord and is coming out of darkness, if we know that they have a need, what good is it to say, let, let me pray for you about that. If we have the ability to do something about it. And so I said, how much is your rent? He said, $430. Like, that's, that's how much I owe my past due balance. And my landlord is on me about it. I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do as a church. Like, I'm, I'm going to meet up with you and I'll meet you at the bank and we'll, we'll get this paid. We're going to get your rent paid. He just broke down. He kept messaging me back and forth. Man, I can't, I can't believe this. Nobody's ever done this for me. He's in tears because he sees that people care. So I want to say thank you on behalf of him because if it wasn't for your faithfulness, we couldn't do that. We're not just sowing seeds financially, but we're sowing seeds eternally, showing people we care, we're here for you. So let's bow our heads. The Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, I thank you for each and every person in this church who has continued to be faithful in their tithe and in their offering. God, I thank you that you rebuke the devourer in their lives and that you open up the windows and pour out blessings that they can't even contain. God, and for the person in the room that is struggling financially that says, man, I really wish I could give, but I, I can't give because I'm struggling. God, we just pray, Father, financial blessings over them. God, that you would position them in such a way that they could give like never before. God, give us eyes to see the need out there, God. Let us not just be a church that's stagnant and complacent and only wants to draw people in, but let us be the church. Let us feel the needs of the people. We thank you, God. We ask that you bless us, God, and keep us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from We Are Church. I trust that you are blessed and moved in a way that changes your life permanently and allows God to guide you towards your calling in Christ. If you want to make We Are Church your home church or feel moved to sow into We Are Church, we want to provide the means to do so. You can join or give online at weareministries.com. And you can also reach us on our social media platforms at We Are Church Nashville. God bless you. Have a great week.